0: My name is Peter. I forgot to say, I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. Good morning again. Uh, today, I have a special special message, a sermon entitled "Called to Conquer." Today is the eve of New Year's Eve, and we have some special things that we want to lift God up for what He's done this year. Just a heads up: next week, we're going to team preach as a team of our three elders who were just set in a few weeks ago, praise God, we're going to team preach a message that really lays out some focus and vision for 2019. But we don't want to leave 2018 without giving our, our praise and our understanding and our testifying to what God has done in this year, which turn to your neighbor and tell them it's still 2018. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to honor God's word. I'm going to preach out of Revelation chapter 12. Uh, we'll read verses 7 through 11. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. The dragon was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word that goes beyond our thoughts or our our plans or our resolutions. Father, too often we just get lost in the busyness and the margins of our lives and we fail to see our lives in light of eternity and align our feelings with with what you're promising. We act like we're defeated instead of act like we believe that, that we're conquerors and more than conquerors for, through you who loved us. And we walk around without the victory that you've already told us we have. And we ask that you would align us, that we would be uh, well-integrated body, soul, and spirit with your word today, for your kingdom and your glory, and for the joy of the nations, especially our neighbors, amen. Church, God has not simply called you to survive, he's called you to thrive. He hasn't called you to get by as much as he's called you to to get victory he he hasn't called you to simply try your best to avoid being overcome by the devil and all his anxieties and lies he's called you to conquer evil with good when god told adam and eve to conquer to take dominion over the whole world the whole earth and then when adam and eve failed to do that, God didn't send Adam a text with an M, because there's no never mind to the eternal purposes that are in God's mind. He's called us to conquer. He has called you to conquer. Now, I'm going to briefly teach through our passage, and then give you a takeaway about what that means to where you find yourself in your story, in your conquering story as a believer, and then I'm going to have some help to drive that point home. First of all, let's talk about this whole dragon business. Anyone intrigued by that whole part of the story? Anyone like me not quite sure how to place it all? You are if you if you think you know, I I'm pretty sure you don't. I mean, is this war is this kind of preceding creation? Uh some, some have surmised that this might be kind of like the, the last days leading up to the Great Tribulation. Others have said, well, maybe part of this war takes place on Good Friday when Jesus defeated the enemy by dying, which is a cool way to defeat your enemy. No one else has ever done it like that. Or you have the, the, the verses that come before this. If you cheated, which I love, and you brought your paper Bible... And you've read ahead, there's, there's some talk about the, the dragon coming after a woman, giving birth, and she hid, and he hunted her down. We find out later that the earth helped in this battle, which is really cool. Swallowed up the, the, the enemy. Where does this all fit? I'm going to say that I don't know if the timing of all these things is clear. The answer to a lot of these questions is, I don't know. But what is clear is the outcome of this war. There's absolutely no ambiguity or any sort of room for variance in interpretation as to who wins this battle. Maybe there's some uh, ambiguity over the timing of things and some remaining mystery. No matter how great a theologian you are, there remains some mystery. But there is no mystery about who wins. Jesus The timeless one is a glorious God. That's the answer. Therefore, what we don't know about this passage is overshadowed by what we do know about this passage. And that's that God's glory conquers through Christ's victory. We see that in this story. Verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now. Everyone say now. Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Let me just tell you, spoiler, it has not gone away. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now when it says now the salvation, I'm going to add to that that now then is still now, now. Christ's victory is still here, and it's never going away. Another interesting thing I want to point out about verse 10 that's interesting to know to be able to unravel and stomp on the lies of the enemy. When it says that the accuser has been thrown down, there's an interesting word that is translated into English, accuser. It's the Greek word, the categoreo. That's the word for accuser. He's been thrown down. It's almost like literally saying The categorizer has been thrown down. The devil will always try to use your current struggles to paint you into a whole false category of identity. You might be battling a certain thing and the devil will try to use what what we say in Victory Weekend as a seed of the facts, a seed of truth, to paint a whole lie About a category of a false identity, as if the thing you're battling right now is who you are. And it's a big lie. The devil will say, You are a debtor. Nothing more. Nothing less. You're a debtor. You're a pervert. You're a gossip. You're a worrier. That's who you are, is it? You're an anxious person, a loud mouth. You're shy did God make me shy? You're defensive. You're insecure. And he'll try to paint us into these categories of false identity. That's the only power he has is his lies. Since he was thrown down, all he has is lies. And what he does and what he says and the lies he whispers is bad enough, but we walk in agreement with him. We tend to meditate and participate with his lies. We meditate more on what He says about us than what God says about us, and the final outcomes that God has pronounced over us. We act like the battle we're struggling with now in chapter 2 of our story is the definition of who we are, as if God hasn't already told us what chapter 10 says, and the conclusion says about our story. He's already made the outcome of the lives of believers clear, but we allow ourselves to walk in light of our current stress instead of in light of our ultimate salvation. We're the ones who participate in this. Yes, the enemy is a liar, but we so often with our disposition and how we go about walking out our lives, we, we, we walk as if his lies were truth. And this is wrong. What does God say about us? Verse 11. They, that's us, if we believe in Jesus, they have conquered him, the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. What God says about you conquers. The lies of the enemy. And what he says about you is precisely that, that you are a conqueror. We are called, church, to conquer. Now let's focus on this word, conquer. The, the word for to conquer that's translated conquer is a Greek word, nikau. nikau. That's not as important as finding the context of what this word means. I'm going to share a few other places where this word is used in the Bible. And I think you're going to see that conquering isn't uh, a cozy endeavor. When God calls you to victory, there's no context whatsoever that would lead any of us to think that that victorious type of life is a nice and snuggly and easy sort of life. Check out John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, you might have peace. Almost the assumption is kind of like, in everything else besides me, you're not going to have a lot of peace, by the way. Because he goes on to say, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome or conquered the world. One of my mentors calls this the promise no one wants. In this life, you will have troubles, but take heart. For I have conquered the world. Paul says it like this. Romans 12. This word comes up like two or three times in this tiny verse. Romans 12, 21. Do not be conquered by, overcome by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is one of my favorite verses. Because my life is not just try to avoid the bad stuff, but my life is an evangelistic enterprise not just try to not be influenced by bad stuff, but I am to go out into the world and when I drive past my neighbor's house and when I see stuff I don't like in the culture, there's something about what God's given me that's not simply to avoid that, but to conquer with the love of Christ. Jesus says, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good, is what he says through Paul. You see the link between conquering and hardship i said a second ago that we might not know all the details about the dragons and what's playing out here and when but we know the outcome and let me add to that not only do we know the outcome of this battle but we also know some of the methods used to secure the victory verse 11 again they have overcome him by one the the blood of the lamb two by the word of their testimony Three, for they love not their lives unto death. I think you're going to find that these three things make for a really costly and unusual method in victory. Number one, the blood of the lamb. This seems like a paradox, right? Like if the enemy has tanks and automatic weapons and nukes, you would think that he wouldn't be super intimidated by the blood of a little ewe lamb. Unless all of those weapons in all the world killed this little lamb, and the lamb died, and then three days later rose again from the dead. Then the blood of the lamb is a little bit different, because all of our weapons, our fear, our violence, our vice, our hatred, our unforgiveness pressed down on him, and he pressed back harder. And so his blood has the final word. He defeats our destruction even as he atones for our forgiveness of that. And so we who have faith in Jesus and say, I come out of agreement with trusting in these things and myself, And my whole life is defined by I have nothing else but Jesus. And I celebrate this by emptying myself habitually throughout the the life that I have in him. By emptying myself and receiving his body and his blood. The blood of the lamb speaks the most definitive and powerful thing over me. And if you have faith in Jesus, this victory that curses The enemy's weapons is what defines you. Speaking of faith in the blood of the lamb, that's why the next thing tends to personalize how his blood applies to you as a person. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. Now the word translated testimony is is the same word where we get our word martyr. So there's a lot of painful continuity between these three things that we see in verse 11. It's like saying they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the blood of the martyrs, their own blood, it's a lot of blood, and for good measure, number three, loving not their lives unto death, which seems to me to be a lot more blood and dying. Now I admit that None of this seems encouraging. If you came here today and you're like, man, I want an encouraging message going into the new year, let me tell you, I have something better than encouraging for you. I have something that's affirming. Because God has already ordained and planned the struggles that you go through, and pretending like they don't exist, and pretending like you don't need to forgive that person, or pretending like... This hardship is not something that you're going to have to walk out of church and have faith to deal with. That doesn't help you. That hinders you. But seeing Jesus say, my blood has already paid for this. I've already gone through this, and I am with you and affirming you and letting you know, by the way, hey, the end of the story is good for you if you believe in me. That's affirming. It's better than encouraging. My one takeaway is this, God is glorious, we are victorious, and in the middle of that, lots of carnage. Wish I could make it rhyme. <laughs> lots of carnage. Now, does, does this sound like your story, speaking of affirming? Have you faced some hardship in 2018? Have you seen some victory? I think you have, whether you know it or not, if you're here If you're breathing, has that victory come at a significant cost to you? Maybe undoubtedly a cost that's been unexpected to you? Hasn't been unexpected to him. God always leads us into victory, and he always tends to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to show that there he's with us. There's no There's no conquering without carnage. There's no resurrection without death. And in the middle of all this, your testimony is the foremost gift that you're responsible for stewarding. It's the primary weapon at your disposal. Your story about how the blood of the Lamb has applied to you and redeemed your life and made you fearless in the face of death and love something more than your life, your story is what no devil in hell can, can refute. No skeptic can say, no, it didn't happen like that. It's your story. Don't let the, the powerful thing that God has done in your life be put under a bull. Let it shine. Your story is powerful. Don't miss the powerfulness of it, the the beauty of it, just because there's a little bloodshed. Don't let the accuser miscategorize your pain as something other than what Jesus is doing for his glory and your benefit. Don't let the devil quiet you. Tell your story. Wield your weapon. I want to encourage you that Maybe there's people that you've been praying for in your growth groups. We pray needs and names. Everyone in the circle has a need to pray for, and everyone in the circle has a name of someone that's not yet in the circle that we're going to invite to church. We're going to invite to pray and fast with us. Are they Christians? I don't know. Maybe they'll want to do that, though. But these are people that we can, hey, you know what? I want to take you out to lunch, Mike. Call your neighbor up. I want to share my story of what God's done. You are defeating the devil in his life and in yours as you testify. So I want to call up my testifying troop. I said I'm going to have help driving this point home. Can you guys line up here? As they make their way up here, I want to just share with you my story. Because my story is powerful too. I've shared it a lot, and I'm going to share it a lot more. I grew up into privilege. But here's the thing about privilege. I know in our culture right now, um, the word privilege is a very tense word. Uh, You know, as if I don't have dignity for using what I have to honor God, and that's not what I'm saying. But I didn't use what I had to honor God, and and I didn't even understand the things that I grew up with that were to my benefit. You know, I would, I would grow up just, man, the, the way I treated my mom when I wanted things, I look back on just with dismay. And in the middle of all that wasted privilege, God still came and spoke to me and drew me to himself and made me a new person. He preached the gospel to me through a friend that I used to sin with. In high school, I became a new person. I became a believer in Jesus, that he died for my sin so that I could be forgiven. And you know what? I didn't even know much about how much I still needed to be forgiven for, how ugly my sin was. That's been something that in the last 21 years I've been learning more and more about. One of the things that I look back on that this last 21 years that I'm thankful for and that I've seen this year is that God— has allowed me to suffer what I didn't think I deserved or needed. At various points in my walk, I've thought, you know, this is going to be easy for me, and, and I'm going to be successful in victoriousness, and it's going to be, it's, I'm not going to have to wait as long as I think, you know, it's going to go like this. And, and God has allowed me to be humbled. Now, I'm not saying that I haven't had some things handed to me, and I still haven't had some things easier than, than others. I have. But there's been a lot of moments in my life where things have gone a lot harder harder and I've had to wait a lot longer than I expected. When I fell in love with my wife, it was 7 years later before we could say I do. With church things, these last few years, I've been wanting an elder team. Now, and I waited a few years and God tested my soul and has been growing me and now this year As of a few weeks ago, we got to set in and celebrate, you were here with me, celebrate our new elder team, which has already been such a huge blessing. God knows how to use my pride against me and for me, for my own growth. And God is continuing to do that me. I know I have a lot more growth as I wait on him. That's been my story this year. The enemy would try to weigh me down with shame as I'm waiting, but the Lord says, no, son, I'm growing you in the midst of that. I want to have our team come up here. I want to have my, my old lady here on her 36th birthday. She's going to share her story.
1: Hi. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were believers. We went to First Baptist Church in Bend, Oregon, growing up. And when I was four years old, I remember giving my life to Jesus I was in our living room and I was sitting on my dad's lap and I prayed and really believed. And I'm just, even to this day, really amazed at how the Holy Spirit can make the gospel clear beyond our ability to really understand things. Um, But I understood the gospel as much as a four-year-old can and um, my growth as a believer from then just kind of been this slow, steady, you know, some years were a lot more, some years required a lot more repentance as God exposed things and showed me things about who he was. But it was kind of just this slow growth in faith over time. And in my walk with Jesus, and for a long time, I kind of, when people would share their testimonies or you know, we'd be at events and people would be sharing what God did with them. I kind of just wouldn't say anything because I always felt like my testimony is so not cool. You know, like all these people I would hear where God did really amazing things and they were running, you know, really far from God and rebelling. And he turned them and these miracles. And I didn't see my testimony as the miracle that it was. And then a few years ago, I was reading through First and Second Kings. And if y'all have read that in the Bible, it's the story of just these generations in Israel and the kings. And it's just such an emotional roller coaster because there would be a king that um, would repent and call the nation to repentance and follow God. And everything is like going right and good. And then their son would be so wicked and everyone would like fall away from God and start worshiping idols. And it was just this up, down, up, down, up, down. And I would just get so frustrated, like, "Ah, oh, why can't they just keep going the right way? And God really spoke to me in that moment that what I had received as my testimony was, in fact, a huge miracle because it was a generational transfer of faith. That really is a miracle. And me, um, I guess in my deception, I was just like, oh, it's just kind of what you do, like your parents bring you to church, and this is what happened. And I was Totally not seeing the miracle that God had done in my life where I had more of an inheritance of faith and it was a really awesome, beautiful thing. And so I had to really repent in that moment for just being so blind to the miracle that God had given me and my testimony and uh, to stop being ashamed of my testimony and receive it for the miracle that it was and, and not be ashamed to share it. So that's my just really big encouragement for you, no matter where you come from. Maybe your background's like me. Maybe you do have this really radical transformation in your life, but your story is a story God gave you for what he wanted to do in your life and through you and others. And when we hide it like I was, we're really not allowing God to work and draw other people to him how he wants in us. So, Hello. Good morning. Um,
2: Peter asked me to share my testimony of just a – what has been the big change for me this year? And so I wrote it down to make sure that I stayed on point. So, um, <laughs> so for years, God has been teaching me a lot about um, trust and freeing me from this generational habit of performing for my worth and feeling like I have to uh, be perfect in order to be loved. And so, though I grew up in a Christian home and I had a relationship um, with Jesus um, as any seven-year-old. Um, I still struggled with feeling like, oh, I have to perform. I have to do this well. I have to um, be perfect in order for me to be accepted. Um, and this habit left me broken. It left me unable to really uh, allow people near to me. Um, it left me really isolated. And it kept me from doing the things that God called me to do. And I longed for freedom. Um but I felt like it was too late for me. I was a pastor's kid, and I was like, oh, I should already know these things, and I kind of felt like it was too late for me. Um, but it wasn't until college that I had an opportunity to grow closer to God um, and for my relationship with God to be my own, and um, I was able to experience my first taste of freedom. I was like, okay, God loves me because of me, not because of who my parents were. Um, after graduating, though, I found myself still struggling with perfectionism and performance I had this idea in my mind of where I should be in life now that I've graduated and what I should be doing and I struggled a lot with what I felt like other people expected for me and how I was failing to live up to that expectation um and it wasn't until 2016 when my dad passed away um he also struggled uh with perfectionism and performance it wasn't until he passed away that I realized I don't want to keep living like this um I knew that there were things that God called me to do, and in order for me to do it, I had to stop allowing myself to be bound by what I thought other people wanted from me. I longed to just have the freedom to live for how God wanted me to, and he showed me that it was possible. Um, So for the next four years, it was pretty tough, but um, God used those years to teach me that I can rely on him and that there were some things that he was going to allow to fall apart so that I could lean on him and not lean on what other people thought for me. And so he used this thing called, uh, it was in the Bible, he just kept repeating it, be still and know that I'm God, be still and know that I'm God. And I did not know what that meant when he said it, and it frustrated me because every time I would feel anxious, he's like, be still and know that I'm God. And I'm like, okay, well, everybody else doesn't know that – you're telling me this, and um, I just felt frustrated, because I was like, why can't everybody else agree that I should be still and know that you're God, and the Lord was like, it's not their job to do that. It's yours, Um, so through the help of a counselor, through um, my quiet time with God, and just learning how to lean and trust on, um, trust friends with the different details of my life, I began to address some of those anxieties that I had with performing and people-pleasing, and um, This year, the Lord allowed just all of the frustration um, to come to a head. And um, he allowed it to push me to a place of surrender where I was just like, I can't do this. I don't want to keep having to try to sustain myself and put forth this image that isn't real. And so at that place of surrender was where um, I realized that I was free to let go of what I think I had to be. I was free to let go of what um, I felt other people wanted for me, and I was able to realize that I had the freedom all along to be able to just rest and be still in what God had for me. So um, I just want to encourage you guys, um, if there's any of you, especially maybe some college students who are getting ready to graduate or maybe you're in your 30s or in your 50s, and you feel like I'm supposed to be at this certain place in my life, and I'm just not there yet. Um, I just want to encourage you, like, God knows what he's doing in your life, and you are where he wants you to be, and um, I just encourage you to look around and see what he's trying to teach you in that moment, and be still and know that he's God.
3: All right, my name is Kevin Bloom, I'm a newer member of this church, so yeah, some of you already know the story, get your tissues ready. Um, so I was raised in the Catholic church. Uh, my, my mother was Catholic and she just kind of, you know, took the ball on, uh, you know, the, uh, the way we were raised and it was in that church. And I never really had, I never really gained any relationship with, with God through that. You know, as soon as, you know, I started developing a brain, you know, science and stuff like that started creeping in and, you know, it, it just kind of led me away and I just basically treated christianity as a mythology and i just lived as an agnostic i thought that you know there likely isn't a god and if there is he really has no connection to this world at all so during that time i was you know growing up i developed kind of this issue with failure and confusion and you know i felt like nothing i would do was good enough for my parents the people around me friends i didn't want to have friends i kind of secluded myself because i thought that all the people I was going to be around, I was going to be a burden to or a nuisance to. And I hated myself for that very severely. I, I wanted very ma- much to kill myself, but never really had the uh, the balls to actually pull the trigger, which sucks because you, you got to wonder sometimes what's worse, killing yourself or living the rest of your life knowing that your life is making other people's lives worse. So... Around October of 2017, I came across the guys from Every Nation Campus, and I know they ran me through the God test. And I noticed this odd passion behind everything they were doing. I never saw this in the Catholic Church or anything else I've seen. And I thought, okay, maybe you know, maybe I'll throw them a bone, see if this if they could actually prove this thing real. Hung out for, with them for a long time, and they eventually invited me to this thing called the NC Conference over in Austin. It uh, took a little bit of pestering to get me to go there, but it happened, and I went there. And right before the event, I prayed, God, if you are real, reveal yourself t- to me in a way that you know I will understand. And on top of that, give me the ability to cry again, because like during you know during the rest of my life, I've never cried tears of joy, and I probably forgot how to cry maybe about 10 years ago, and I kind of missed that feeling. So the event actually you know came around. You know, I paid attention to all the sermons, all the seminars, and I felt like nothing was happening. I was getting absolutely nothing from it, and I was getting scared. All the uh, thoughts of, you know, failure and confusion were coming in. The one phrase that was running through my mind over and over again was, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know who I am. I don't know if this God thing is is a delusion that I'm conjuring up. And at the very end of the event when they were doing one last prayer, they were doing worship music, and there was a call for baptism. I stood right in my seat, clutching my camel hat in my head and hand, just boiling to myself in anger. I'm thinking, why do I keep on falling into these failures? And I was borderline suicidal at that event. I was thinking, I, once I go home, I had better find a way to kill myself because I can't do this anymore. And, you know, I just, you know, the stuff was going on and all of a sudden I, f- I feel a hand fall on my shoulders. One of my friends from E&C and this wave of peace just f- falls all over my body. It's like the, vet- the closest thing I can equate it to is the feeling of being hugged by my younger sister or being comforted by my mom when I was sick or something. But it felt like ten times bigger than that. And sh- she asked to pray for me, and she did. And all of a sudden, there are tears falling out of my eyes. And I'm just, wait a second, what's going on? And more people are laying their hands on me and praying, and I'm crying more. I'm praying now, and I'm crying more. I'm singing along to the music. I'm crying like crazy. And I it felt amazing to cry again. These were actual tears of joy. And I realized in that moment that God was speaking to me in that moment. He was saying, you're not a failure. I've overcome the world for you, and you are my son. And these are your brothers and sisters, these people who are laying hands on your on your shoulder and calling you brother. These are the people that love you and know you more than you would ever believe. They they love you. They, they don't think you're a failure, and they're going to be there for you. And at that moment, you know, once the tears finally cleared up, I was shouting from the rooftop, just, I give my life to you, God, everything, all glory, and, you know, was baptized in the San Marcos River three days later, and I'm still dealing with, you know, the thoughts of failure, but it's it's all with God at my side through everything, there are still trials and, you know, tough things to run through. But the fact that I actually have, you know, the blood of Christ over my life and the Father at my side through everything, it brings a new comfort. And, you know, I never would have thought I would find myself in this position, but here I am now. Uh,
4: Good morning, Springs. Um, My name is Carrington. And uh, I, I just wanted to open up, when um, Pastor Peter asked me to share my story, I just wanted to open up with a verse that I had uh, never read until this year. And it's Psalm 68, verse 8. Uh, it says that God sets the lonely in families. And so uh, growing up, uh, even still right now, I don't have a great relationship with uh, family or um, any it's always been hard to open up to any type of group of people that want to let you in. So, uh that was always a big difficulty. Um and growing up, I was uh you know, I was born under a pew basically, constantly in church and uh back in 2016, I served on a ministry team in um in a church camp in Columbus and then I got really jaded and hurt by this church that I was a part of and it was a really poor experience. So, um, at the beginning of this year when I finally decided to start going back into church and was like, well, let's try this again. I never even realized how many walls I put up with church and with family and with people and letting letting myself be vulnerable. And um, when I finally came to the Springs in April this year, um, Pastor Peter was kind of the first person I met. And uh, I was like, oh man, he's super excited to be here. Like, that's good. <laughs> and and then I sit in my seat, and then he comes up for announcements, and I'm like, "Wait, wait, was that guy? Yeah, that's that's the pastor. Okay, <laughs> I've never had that that experience before." And um, um, as I've gotten closer, and I've started serving in the Springs, I was able to be vulnerable with other other members of uh, of this congregation and our uh, family, and uh, it's uh, it uh, when you're vulnerable. It allows you to um, be able to heal. And the, bo- uh, the, the church uh, a lot of times is compared to, uh, uh, compared to a body with uh, many different members, but all being one body. And I'm a guy that loves science. I absolutely, everything about science, I love it. And the Lord spoke to me uh, a, few, a few months back and said, even when the body gets hurt, how does the body heal? It heals itself. And so when you put yourself back into community and back into the body of Christ, it actually heals you. And through being vulnerable and open with these wonderful people that I get to call my family now, there's been so much healing in my life. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've been hurt by family or a church body, is to get back in the body and to start being vulnerable again and to uh, open up and explore those hurtful things. And it will really lead to lots of healing.
5: To go down some rabbit trail i wrote it down this is uh Jay Lee, this is my version of you know no phone <laughs> my name is christopher and uh peter has asked me to to share with you how the lord has blessed me in the past year
4: <clears throat>
5: very briefly just just to let you know where i come from before we came to the spring some five six months ago uh I was leading a home church for a couple of years, called the House to House Church, based on Acts 5, 42. Before that, I was in some leadership in another church for about eight years. Uh, But we had visited the Springs starting in 2016 a few times, and uh, I saw something here that my heart was really hungry for. It was a sense of love and community um, and faithfulness to the Lord through serving and other, and it was very attractive, so some months ago, it became clear to me that it was time for us to leave the the home church, and uh, here we are, our path was directed here, so I wanted to start with this, everybody just put your fingers on your carotid artery for a second, just hold it there, wait for it, ready, ready, here it comes, boom, your very next heartbeat, you didn't ask for it. You didn't control it, you didn't will it, and there it was, out of your control. I used to be a nurse, and the heart has a, a particular quality, some cells in it, that have this quality called automaticity, and it'll just keep beating, keep beating. Even if you remove the cells out and put them in a Petri dish, they will just keep beating, keep beating, such is the will of God. And I'd say that to highlight the fact that, like you, over the course of the past year, There have been numerous things, uh, seemingly negative, yet blessings in disguise, all of which were beyond my control, such as watching our adult kids live their lives as if Jesus is not alive, Uh, the death of an uncle back in New Hampshire, chronic back pain that often uh, renders me kind of down for the count, or even loss of a, a work contract that led to a sudden financial loss that we weren't expecting. But beyond those things, these are the blessings as well. Godly, a godly, faithful, patient, humble wife who teaches me wisdom in her way, her gentle way. Uh, Grandchildren to love and nurture, one of which was recently baptized here. Praise God. Increasing me in wisdom over and in care for the officers that I lead as a police sergeant. Uh, Increase in my faith. My hope and perseverance and waiting for answers to prayer regarding my aching back and our adult kids coming to know Christ. And let me just share one thing about we have one boy, two really. One is a prodigal, but we, he, the Lord is chasing him down and he is pursuing the Lord, not perfectly, but increasingly. And um, our, our other boy who is in California. We just spent a week with him. He's been gone for a year and a half, and uh, spending this past week with him has been such a pleasure to to see a godly young man in action with his compassionate heart. It was a beautiful thing and an answer to prayer. Answer to prayer. Surgery's coming up January 14th. I'm going to have a little back surgery and see if that helps me a little bit. Uh, But then here at the Springs when i was typing this up uh, using uh, google documents i noticed <laughs> i noticed at the top of the screen that would catch my attention as i was typing i would see see ch- saved changes go across the screen c change save." c save changes It'd pop up there and then it would disappear and i got to say that the lord leading us here i can see changes let me start with this at the men's conference with this church the Holy Spirit taught me for the first time in hearing this from the lead keynote speaker he was talking about uh, when um, the night of, of Jesus arrest and brought to the to the uh, you know where Pontius Pilate's place. And he's looking across, and he sees Peter and the, crow, the rooster and crow three times. And he makes this eye contact with Peter. And for the first time, I heard this so differently in my heart. When he looked at Peter, he wasn't accusing him. He was saying, I have known. I have always known, and yet I still love you. It was transformative for me. I experienced that there. He wasn't condemned. Um, also, a vibrant, a vibrant, young, youngish, and not so young faith community around me, which is a beautiful thing to, to watch. Um, the present day and sooner or later, Jesus freaks steeped in the powerful love of Christ, as demonstrated by their love for one another and for the world around them. A dynamic, gifted, loving, really excited. Humbly transparent lead pastor who will drive you to your doctor's appointment in (laughs) Westlake. Yet keeps you completely distracted, squirrel, (laughs) from thinking about what's about to happen. (laughs) He has the spiritual gift of gab. That's a fruit (laughs) of the spirit, I think. It was an interesting sequestered ride. (laughs) Peter, just drive. A young, <laughs> a young God chaser recently excavated out of agnosticism, now rocking the stage on Sunday mornings with an authentic joy and exuberance that only comes with being set free by the king of glory himself from the prison of self-doubt, unbelief, and cynicism. Yea, God. And this church, entrusting themselves in obedience at the powerful command of Jesus to make disciples, that has set this young dude free to lead a small group A worship team that fills the sanctuary, our ears and hearts, and surely the heart of God with nearly angelic harmonies, groovy rhythms, and spot-on backbeats, whatever that is, with praises praises (laughs) of the heart to the one and only who's worthy to be praised. The privilege and opportunity to befriend and connect with the soul and spirit with young men and women, passionately, not perfectly yet, increasingly, living out their lives for Jesus in an increasingly secular world and campus, being adopted, uh, being invited in by a precious family to share Jesus in a meal, on several, a couple occasions, in our stories together, and we even adopted two sons, there's our little tie, (laughs) isn't he cute? And we have another one who is right now prodigal, yet it was a beautiful thing when when this young man, something happened in his life, and he kind of kind of backed away and hasn't returned. But yet it was a beautiful thing when I just made a couple of phone calls, hey, let's pray for this guy, and they started trying to chase him down, you know, pursue him with love. Hasn't even been any paperwork at all. It's just been so simple. (laughs) And I want to tell you about Victory Weekend. I'm almost done because I know I only have five minutes. So Victory Weekend, if you haven't gone, you gotta go. And there's an exercise at the end that is a, a a beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit. And you get prayed over, and somebody gives you words just to really. But I I wrote down here what I wrote that day and. I want you to hear this, and I'm I'm just going to back it up with the word after, and it's real short. So this is what I wrote, what the Lord spoke, because we're to write I am statements. Now, as you hear these I am statements, I want you to know this, that the very opposite of what you hear is how I often identify with myself and the things that I struggle with. So if you want to know what I struggle with, hear the opposite of what I say, and you'll know. I am the sum of every fabric and thread of my life, wrapped in the scarlet thread of the powerful and precious blood of the one and only, the great I am, the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Messiah. I am a leader. I am a great husband. I am a compassionate and tender father, a true and sincere friend. I am greater than my size seven shoe or five foot four and a half on a good day. I am a teacher and a provider. I am a lover of truth, a discerner of good over evil. I am generous, willing, competent, unafraid. I am in Christ. Those are uh, not boastful or proud statements. These are just statements of truth rooted in the power of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Nobody, nobody can say it better than this. This is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is in prison. Right? He was the forerunner of Christ, wasn't he? He was the one who was proclaiming and clearing the way, repent. Yet, now he's in prison and he's doubting. And he's afraid. It's like, uh, was that really you? Now, when John heard, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Mm. That is me, and that is you. Praise God.
0: Praise the Lord. Would you stand to your feet with me? You, they overcame him.